Welcome to Philosophy Talk. The 9000 series is the most reliable computer ever made. No 9000 computer has ever made a mistake or distorted information. We are all, by any practical definition of the words, foolproof and incapable of error. Artificial intelligence, will it service or control us? Behave yourself, Artu. He asked you a question. Robots that can think and feel. I think, Sebastian. Therefore, I am. Blurring the boundaries between man and machine. Lieutenant DeSora just gave me what could be considered a very passionate kiss in the torpedo bay. Our guest, Marvin Minsky from MIT. When Philosophy Talk continues after the news. I'll be back. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Uh, except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW in San Francisco. Continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. Today, artificial intelligence. And we'll, we'll tackle this subject in three parts. First, we'll look at the vision of AI, its most optimistic vision for itself. Then we'll examine the current state and realities of AI. And next, we'll wrap up the program with a discussion of the moral dilemma that we believe will be raised as AI advances and gets better. Well, Ken, let's start with a, a definition of intelligence, and, and, and here, here's one I'll put out. So you've got a system, and intelligence, a system is intelligent if it has the capacity to pick up information, to perform some kind of actions in pursuit of some goal or another, and to alter the actions it takes in response to the information it picks up. Anything that does that, I think, has some intelligence. Well, that's, that sounds reasonable to me. You know, I wonder, though, about the artificial and artificial intelligence. If your thing can do that, wouldn't it be really intelligent? We might call it synthesized intelligence, but why artificial? Well, you should have been there when the, when the term was invented, Ken, but we're probably going to have to stick with it, but I think you've got a good point here. But note that on this definition of intelligence, a, a thing could be intelligent, a robot, an android, the box on your table, on your desk. It could be intelligent even if it was really intelligent in a very different way for very different reasons than humans. It might not have sensation. It might not be conscious. It might not have its own goals, but just those that are programmed into it might have no emotions. So you think of human intelligence as a complicated package, and you don't have to have all those elements of the package that count as intelligence. That sounds right to me. Think of, like, flying. Airplanes fly. Dirigibles fly. Birds fly. Hot air balloons fly, but they have all different kinds of capacities, and they work differently, even though they share this one property of being able to fly. And I, I think this this point points to a major divide in AI research, that is, artificial intelligence research. Uh, on the one hand, in cognitive science, psychology, people are really interested in using computers to help us understand how humans do things. So they want intelligence, but they want intelligence arrived at on the same basic principles and using the same basic processes that humans use. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the AI as cognitive science is an important part of cognitive science. You try to come up with computational models, AI models of how the mind actually works, and you think that reveals something about the mind. But there's also AI as engineering, and that's a big deal, right? And I think a lot of AI is about engineering. You just want useful tools that have some ingredients of intelligence, whether it's the same as human intelligence or not. Who cares? You care about the AI as a tool for uh, achieving all kinds of purposes. You know, my old friend Georg Kreisel used to define AI in terms of a riddle. He said, what's the difference between computer science and artificial intelligence? 
Computer science makes computers do well what humans do poorly. AI does the opposite. Uh, wait a minute. See if I get... Oh, I, I see what you mean. So, like, uh, uh, human beings can't do calculus very quickly. You can, computers can do that really easily. But human beings can engage in an ordinary conversation or walk and chew gum or, or repair a car without breaking it. And it's hard to get robots and computers to do that sort of thing. Yeah, of course, uh, Kreisel's uh, definition was characteristically a little bit barbed. I don't think AI people are trying to make computers that do poorly what humans do well or trying to make... Uh, computers that do what humans do well, even better than humans. Right, and our roving philosophical reporter, Zoe Corneli, went, went to a robotics lab in which they're trying to do that just that kind of thing. She files this report. The first thing you see when you walk into the robotics lab is a big piece of paper where someone has written, Welcome to the AI Lab, and drawn a picture of the Stanford SEAL. Well, not exactly someone. The words are bubble-letter versions of Times New Roman, and the SEAL is perfectly round. A robot drew this sign with a permanent marker, the same way a human would. Our focus is in human-friendly robot systems. Usama Khatib is a lead researcher here. The question is, what is this robot for? That is, if we think that we need a robot to interact with us, if we need a robot to help uh, and assist a worker, to uh, assist an elderly to walk, well, then we need a robot that is compatible with the human. In today's world, robots are primarily used in manufacturing, but these heavy robotic devices would be destructive in a human environment. In 1997, Honda created a robot called Asimo, which could walk. Khatib says even that model wouldn't be very useful to people. These robots are incapable of touching the environment. And if they touch the environment, they immediately receive reaction forces and they will tip over. So our contribution here is really uh, on making robot uh, capable of doing that interaction, having a robot capable of sitting sitting on uh, a chair, uh, coming to a desk and, and uh, writing something or manipulating different objects. Uh, having a robot capable of uh, really uh, watching your car uh, requires the robot to touch and, and control the contact forces without breaking the windows or breaking any object. The key to that is haptics, the technology that gives robots a sense of touch. Please take a seat here. Khatib leads me to a strange-looking metal structure about the size of a basketball with a small black attachment you hold like a pen. It's next to a laptop showing an image of a three-dimensional object. And uh, you are going to, to hold this, and this will become your, the tip of your uh, hand. And with this finger, you're going to go and touch the environment, and now you're going to feel the structure here. Oh, you can feel it pushing back. <laughs> That's very, very strange. <laughs> so it is uh, virtually your hand inside the computer. This device allows you to feel the texture and resistance of an object that you can see on a computer screen. The technology could allow a surgeon to operate on a patient in a remote location using robotic arms. The research here focuses on making robots that can physically exist in the human world. Developing robot brains is a separate endeavor. Khatib says eventually the two will be combined. The truth of the matter is this robot will be, will be capable of uh, cognition, uh, thinking, decision. But I think what is going to happen, like with computers, 
uh, we are going to be become dependent on those machines. And we cannot turn them off because they will have an, a huge impact on the economy or on other aspects of our life. He says that doesn't necessarily spell disaster for the human race. Well, human for all history developed tools, and this is maybe the latest of them, but I don't think uh, it's going to uh, be a competitor to us on our planet. I think uh, it is another advanced tool, but we have to make use of those tools wisely. I think we will be able to uh, live happily with them. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Zoe Corneli. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.